everybody. Welcome. We are the kings of podcast, and now we're going to talk about the king of the monsters. Uh, guys, did you know that there's a movie out called Godzilla vs. Kong? <laughs> yes, Nick. I did know there's a movie out called Godzilla vs. Kong. And you mean lizard versus monkey? Big lizard yes. versus big monkey. And uh, so, you know, I think in spirit of that, we should do our own Godzilla versus Kong. Well, it's a good thing we're already doing Godzilla then. Yeah, round one. We're going to be talking about the original 1954 Godzilla, uh, some of the themes behind it, and just some all-around cool monster stuff. Yeah, and we'll also be talking a little bit about the 1956 American version and how much I deeply detest it. It's really something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly something. So, welcome to Filmcasters, if you've never listened to us before. I'm Antonio Coffey. I'm Nick McKay. And I'm Topher De La Rosa. And we like watching movies, and we've all studied history, so we thought we'd make a podcast where we look at famous movies, and maybe some that y'all haven't heard of before, because we'd like to introduce y'all to some new ones. Uh, and talk about the history behind them, the context, and overall just how we enjoyed the film. So because we show that history goes together like Godzilla and destroying cities. Yeah, he's really good at it. It's a great pair. Thought you were about to say Godzilla and Kong, and I was like, that Nick, it's, it's Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, that would have been better. Darn it. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Well, you know, they, can't, they can't all be winners. They can't all be winners. But once again, thank you all for joining us today um and so, I, w- I would like to point out though nick that that statement you said right now about godzilla and destroying big cities that's a good representation of how misunderstood this original movie was when it first came out and when the americans got their hands on it i mean yeah pretty much i mean yeah but godzilla is pretty good at destroying big cities but yeah, there's a this lot of misrepresentation to this movie, and I'm very excited to talk about it. So, Nick, uh, why don't you take us away with the plot? Okay, so the movie opens up uh, in the Japanese ocean where a ship uh, has been destroyed, and they send a second ship to you know figure out what happened. And then from there, they're basically blown away in some kind of fiery blast and so now you know there's only a few survivors and you're just wondering what's going on yeah so not only that but like the whole lead up in the movie is we're like hearing these reports of all these fishing ships get destroyed and devastated so the thing is that seems like you know oh interesting introduction but it's really historically important, um, which so? I, I didn't realize when I watched it. So have either of y'all heard of Lucky Dragon number five? No. All right. So it was a Japanese tuna no. ship. And it, like this, was a fishing ship that uh, unknowingly got attacked by nuclear radiation. So May 1st, 1954. It was... it. I mean, it was a tuna ship, so it didn't just sail around Japan, but it all over the Pacific is where it kind of fished. One of the areas it kind of went near was Bikini Atoll. Not, like, super close, like, almost 100 miles away, 
but uh, Bikini Atoll, if you don't know, is where the United States did a lot of H-bomb testing. Um, it it okay. is also the technical location of Bikini Bottom in SpongeBob. Yes. Ah. Yeah, I really like the theory about SpongeBob where everything talked because of nuclear radiation that happened in Bikini Atoll. That's yeah. neat. I don't know if it's true, but it's what I'm certainly believing. Um, so they decided to go by there. There hadn't been H-bomb testing in a while. Plus, when there is, the United States has to like mark out area, be like, hey, this area is quarantined, and all ships know about it. So it shouldn't have been an issue. Like The atomic bomb shouldn't have been an issue. Well, this was the Castle Bravo H-bomb test. Uh, it ended up being twice as powerful as the United States expected. So the Lucky Dragon wasn't out of the danger zone. No, it wasn't destroyed by the atomic blast. The main issue that it had was in the wee hours of the morning, like before sunrise, uh, there was just a few people up on the boat. And then they saw a bright gleaming white from the west. Uh, and one of them said the sun's rising in the west which was terrifying they weren't really sure what it was they did know they were near Bikini Atoll and there was some nervousness there Um, as they woke up shortly after the test white rain fell from the skies uh, got in their hair got in their mouths got all over the fish and so part of this uh, what happened was uh, they experienced nuclear fallout when the bomb exploded. Uh, sure, we were dropping them in the sea because we thought it really wouldn't be that much of an issue, better than dropping on land. I mean, I guess it is. Uh, but it destroyed and irradiated a bunch of coral in the area. The coral went up in the air, and this irradiated coral dust spread all over the crew. Um, upon returning home, all members of Lucky Dragon Number 5 were hospitalized with everything from bad headaches to some had their hair falling out and some just had bleeding gums just gums that wouldn't stop bleeding uh uh fallout actually hadn't been termed like nuclear fallout wasn't really a term until this happened uh the sailors uh were calling it she no high death ash uh, as more reporting on Lucky Dragon came out, the word fallout came into existence. And that's what they experienced was nuclear fallout and uh, acute atomic disease is what it was called at the time. I don't know how you'd want to call it really acute because it killed multiple members of the crew. So that scene was really big for Japan because when this happened there was a lot of outrage against the united states there was a lot of outrage against atomic bombs in general japan experienced what was referred to as the nuclear panic where citizens were freaked out that they were getting irradiated tuna that another atomic bomb testing might happen near them might harm them so there was this huge fear in japan of atomic weapons at the time and this all happened just months before the release of Godzilla. Wow, that's that's a pretty heavy intro then. Right? Yeah, to, to us it meant nothing watching it, right? 
Like you're yeah, like, oh. there's just like a quick flash of light, and you know, obviously boats are destroyed. So you're like, wow, must be Godzilla. But but the meaning behind it being, you know, Americans in the 21st century completely lost. Yep. Right. But this film came out swinging. Like that first scene is just you're like, <clears throat> okay, we're we're here talking about some actual shit and it's the beginning of us seeing oh, okay this movie has some political implications our message to it most likely which it does and we'll get into that yeah because uh it's all over uh because all in the next uh scene in the movie uh villagers are you know freaking out because storms are striking the island and they're you know something during the storm is smashing homes and it destroys a helicopter that was totally real and wasn't just a prop toy you know oh. <laughs> it, it was yeah. great great effects and uh so hey, this is and the 50s, also man. you know they did their best and the, there's no fish uh all of the fishermen are coming up short uh they're saying like man you know back in the old days uh when we had fishing droughts like this we would do a, a ceremony but uh, so finally, it gets bad enough that the residents of this small island go to Tokyo to demand, uh, you know, help because there's something bothering them. And, uh, you know, Tokyo dismisses it. You know, they're like, look, we, we just dealt with radioactive fish. You know, there's odds are it's nothing big. And then uh, a scientist, a paleontologist named Yamane comes he says what's happening is a dinosaur that lived underneath uh, the ocean floor has been awakened because H-bombs have destroyed his home, which is a lot like coffee just said right now. Yeah. It, we, we, we talk about the H-bomb a lot today. Yeah. So um, they uh, decide uh, to launch frigates and their plans to just drop death charges and i guess just kind of hope you win like a like a game of minesweeper before we get there though nick uh what about our other main characters that we met on the island oh right so uh we meet a marine named ogata uh we meet the professor yamane's daughter emiko and we meet uh their the third guy uh, Dr. Serizawa, who served under uh, the Emperor's army and uh, lost an eye during the war. He has a dope eye patch. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. But uh, so he's, you know, locked up in his lab, um, you know, working on something. And, you know, there's also a love triangle going on there, but, you know, we can, we can talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there when we get to that that second scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let me see, where were we? Death charges. Death charges, right. So, they're dropping death charges, and they're pretty sure, like, man, we must have hit something, you know. Uh, there's no way the creature survived. But uh, then, surprise, uh, Godzilla shows up on the island, and uh, they notice that, you know, everywhere he goes, 
there's radiation just everywhere, and people nearby are radiated. And uh, so, you know, they start thinking, like, how are we supposed... Because Godzilla is moving, like, from islands into... He's starting to go to the mainland towards Tokyo. So, you know, they start thinking, how are we gonna, how are we gonna stop him? And uh, Professor Yamane says, you know, let's not stop him, you know. We should study this guy. All right, so another quick interjection for two things, because uh, I it. forgot to interject earlier. So when Yamane first talks about it being from the H-bomb testing, there's a really interesting scene where, like, the two sides of Parliament start arguing over if they should release this information to the public. A, they're like, oh, people will freak out. But B, brought up again, coming back to the H-bomb, is they're like, if we bring this up, this could be seen as like them criticizing their allies, them making issues. They don't say the United States, but it's very clearly means the United States with this issue. I'm not but, sure who else it could mean. Yeah, exactly. This is post-World War II, United States just, uh, just occupied and reconstructed the island and only left two years. Yeah, it's very obviously the United States, especially if you're mm. watching at the time. But they're like trying to point out that they can't really decry the H. That Parliament can't really decry the H bomb there. Um, yeah, that 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 was the little little thing I wanted to put in. But also, Yamane, there's a reason he wants to study Godzilla. Do you remember what he wanted specifically to study Godzilla for? Uh, is it because he's just a huge Godzilla fan? I mean, partly. I mean, I like big, giant sea creatures from prehistoric eras. But, coming back to the political side against the H-bomb, because it's not hidden in this movie, he wanted to study it for nuclear resistance. He's like, we could find ways to live through nuclear radiation. He he was looking for a way to mitigate H-bomb, A-bomb damage. It's right, so because Godzilla can live through it, if he studies Godzilla, then he can figure out how we can live through it. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That makes a lot more sense. I thought he was just kind of crazy. I'm going to be honest yeah. here. Yeah, I, I, I thought so too. And like until I like was kind of rewatching, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I mean, l later on when him and Ogata have that debate about like, the benefits of study versus the danger which he poses. That's like, I think this is one of the first, if I remember correctly, it's one of the first movies that had that kind of philosophical side, philosophical argument to it about um, the dangers of pursuing science versus, like the, it was a precursor to Jurassic Park's. We didn't. We spent so long thinking, can't, trying to figure out how we should do it. We never stopped to consider should we do it. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that makes sense, and I didn't even pick up on it, but that's definitely in the movie, both with the, the Ogata Yamane discussion, but also their later discussion with Sarazawa. Yeah. Yes. Uh, right. You know, it was also funny because Ogata had planned on asking uh, Professor Yamane for his blessing to marry Emiko, but that just went out the window. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go ask him. Gets into debate about killing Godzilla. Hmm. Maybe, may, maybe I should wait. Yeah, maybe this no. isn't the best time. 
I sat there. I said, where did you go wrong? Oh, wait. <laughs> the beginning. The yeah. very start of that conversation. Yeah, Anyways, you, you so in. like Nick says, they drop death charges and surprise, surprise, it doesn't kill the creature that could withstand radiation. Getting back to, to Godzilla, he's about to come to Tokyo. And so their plan is they build, uh, I think they said, a 50-foot tall uh, electrified fence, you know, and they have the military deployed. And, you know, Godzilla walks through it like it's string cheese. And, you know, he, he messes with Tokyo a little bit. He hangs on the bay, but then he goes back. And so, you know, they, the military has to decide, like, what do we do now? And they say, we just got to deploy everybody. We got to get everybody going. And uh, so Godzilla comes back. You know, all of, their, all of their tanks and, you know, their fighter jets, nothing's working. Nothing's taking them out. And Godzilla is destroying the city of Tokyo. You know, he's just leaving a burnt, radioactive, you know, wasteland wherever he goes. It's, it's tatters, just utter tatters. Yeah, and also, it was really, you know, heavy, because I, I wasn't really expecting a Godzilla movie to, to be heavy, because you got, like, a mother who's holding her kids, and she's like, we're going to go see Daddy soon, and the building falls, and you're like, no! <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, sh- oh, that's also the clock scene. Yeah, yeah, and then also, uh, there's a clock that's at... 11 or midnight it's at 11 yeah and it's dinging and godzilla is you know he doesn't like it so he destroys it yeah but also and crushes people i'm gonna interject here this is more speculation on my part uh because i couldn't find anything confirming that but i i mean there was a big emphasis on the clock i feel like they were trying to say something with it the only thing i could figure out is have y'all heard of midnight hour and what that uh, refers to, what in reference to atomic bombs. I feel like I heard it in Watch. I, I think I remember what it is, but enlighten us. So midnight hour, are, there's the doomsday clock, and basically, when it hits midnight is basically when humanity will destroy itself with its own technology. It's kept up by uh, I can't remember their exact name, but it's basically scientists devoted to nuclear research are the ones who set up the clock in the 40s after the use of the first a-bomb and they've been updating it i think right now we're at like five hours to midnight yeah it's or maybe we're a minute to midnight sorry not five hours a minute five minutes to midnight or a minute to midnight we're we're very close in these people's opinion of destroying ourselves with our own technology and i think it's really hard to at least if that wasn't intentional to see it in the Godzilla movie, if you know about it, with it being an hour till midnight while Godzilla's attacking. Because, you know, Godzilla wasn't supposed to be the end of the world, but it's definitely a warning that we need to change. Well, yeah. He may not have been the end of the world, but, you know, he sure felt like it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also know uh, the director uh, said um, when he had Godzilla destroy Tokyo, he wanted to make sure that the destruction looked and felt like a nuclear bomb had been dropped on the city. 
and when you look at back at it, it that's definitely what it looked like. This was not your fun monster destroying the city movie like Godzilla v Kong was. This is terrifying and sad to watch. Yeah, nuclear fire was burning down everything, and it was a. Uh... It, it was heavy, let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, it, it was heavy. If y'all haven't watched it, uh, well, stop listening now, go back and watch it, and then come back and listen to us. Yeah. And uh, so, finally, Godzilla destroys the city, and, you know, he goes back to the ocean. And, you know, we're just looking at all of the rubble and all of the dead people, and, you know, they have, like, a bunch of children who I think are just orphans, you know, just singing, you know, sadness. And you're just like, wow, this this got really dark. <laughs> yeah, I and, think another part in that little montage that stood out was uh, you have, like, a scientist using a Geiger counter, and he finds they, that the children themselves are radioactive because of it. Which, yeah. again, is something that actually happened with the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like, yeah. this is, again, when he said he wanted to make it feel like an atom bomb hit, he didn't just mean the destruction, but the way it impacted the citizens afterwards and will impact them for years afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so... As, uh, as they're scoping out the damage, uh, Amiko tells Ogata that uh, Serizawa has... Uh, the secret project he's been working on is something called an oxygen destroyer, which I guess you could say it uh, destroys oxygen. Uh, you know. And uh, he said, you know, just a little bit would, uh, would take out the entire... Uh, ocean of japan yeah and so you know he he keeps saying no one can ever know because they'll you know they'll try to you know the the countries of the world will try to weaponize it and turn into something more powerful than the atomic Mm -hmm. bomb and uh he says i you know i know i wish i hadn't made it but I really think I could, you know, one day turn it into, like, renewable energy. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that one. But Yeah, you know, I don't know I, what I, he I was going to do with it. But he, yeah. he at least was aware what could go wrong. Uh, so, the reason this is pretty important and getting to the love triangle, Emiko is engaged to Sarazawa. Uh, it was an arranged marriage from when they were kids, I think right yeah yeah when they were yeah it was arranged yeah but it was... then she decided she actually loves ogata more yeah and i don't know if love triangle is even the right word for it really because it didn't seem like sarazawa like was really that interested in the engagement in our relationship well he's definitely more of a you know work kind of guy oh yeah yeah his, he... his lab is his love yeah, his, his lab is his love. So, you know, you, you don't feel too bad cheering for Ogata and Emiko. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's not really. 
you know, there's some tension there for the, sure. There is, and I love the tension. Yeah, but you know, it's pretty clear where you know everyone stands. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But so then they go visit Sarazawa, right, Nick? Yep, they go visit him, and you know, Emiko says, "Look, I'm sorry. I I know I swore never to tell, but I told Ogata." And uh, we want to kill Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. He says you gotta use this thing to kill Godzilla. It's it's our only chance. And Sarazawa says, you know, I said that if anyone found out, I would destroy my research and then kill myself. You know, just to make sure no one ever found out. And you know, they're really so they turn on the TV, and the orphans are still singing. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so, you know, the the singing orphans, Sarazawa realizes, like, man, this is this is actually pretty deep, so... He's like, okay, this is bad. I yeah. knew Tokyo was destroyed, but, like, this is bad, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, he says, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you, but first, I'm gonna burn my notes like I said I would. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, at that point, I'm thinking, hey, he's gonna kill himself, too. You know, it's... They're building up to it. Oh, yeah. But, so, I guess we're, we're not, like, really telling how dramatic this scene is. Like, <laughs> there's a good, what would you say, 10-minute argument of them trying to convince him. Yeah, in, that's true. In which, like, five minutes of, is him actively trying to kill himself. And yeah. they're, they're, like, holding him down so he can't kill himself. Because that's how, like, dead set he is on this not coming out. He's yeah, not like, oh, no, you found out. I guess I'm going to have to do it. And they're like, don't do it. And he's like, oh, okay. No. There's a good 10-minute argument of them. A, first of all, not even I'm trying to get him it. to agree. No, I'm going to do it. No, I'm going to yeah, do yeah. it. Okay. No, like, it's this really <laughs> dramatic moment of this man really doesn't want this to come out. So him agreeing to it is... A huge deal. And again, we're back to the H-bomb with this could be worse than the H-bomb. I don't want this to come out. And with the idea of, you know, renewable energy or it being used for good, which again was an idea and is an idea we could do with nuclear power is why is it destructive? Why aren't we building power plants? And now we have, and we're getting better at doing them, but that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, Ogatas says, you know the potential uh, reality of your of your thing being weaponized is pretty big, but the real the threat of Godzilla is already here now. So yeah, yeah. So he says, "All right, we're gonna do it." And so, you know, you fast forward to they're on a boat, and uh, Sarazawa puts on you know scuba gear with his oxygen destroyer and Ogata's like wait I'll go with you because I actually know how to dive he's and like pretty important he's like you've never done this I have I am the yeah. marine for a reason but you know really makes you think Ogata probably could have just gone alone you know but Ogata but, didn't know how to use the oxygen destroyer that's true that's true All without right. so killing guess, himself yeah it, it was it was a two-man effort it definitely needed I suppose you know uh, so they go down into the ocean and they see Godzilla you know kind of just sleeping in the ocean and you know there is a moment of you know majesty where you know you're looking at him 
and you're just like, wow, this is, you know, this is a thing. This is a force of nature we're looking at. And so Sarazawa, you know, turns on the destroyer, and Ogata says, all right, let's float back up. And he does, but of course Sarazawa, you know, stays down to kill himself with well, Godzilla. It wasn't just that. Uh, remember? Not just that he say, hey, I'm going to die by my weapon. Uh, to ensure that things went that way, uh, he cut his oxygen line. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so that way anything, you know, the oxygen destroyer would destroy his oxygen, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, and that and I'm not sure how the oxygen destroyer worked because it wasn't just like making people not able to breathe. Because remember, it made Godzilla from big giant monster to skeleton. Yeah. But I think what happens is it destroys anything that breathes oxygen. Because, like, the fish tank, when you test it on the fish tank in the beginning of the movie, all of the fish, you know, turn to skeletons and they look like. The trash can of a Long John Silver's. Yeah. We're reading too much into the sci-fi part, but yes. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. So then, uh, so then you know, Serizawa, you know, Ogata's like, oh no, Serizawa, why are you doing this? For some reason. As if they didn't, you know, already stop As him from killing himself. This wasn't the predictable course of action. Very yeah, sad Ser course of action. Yeah, yeah. And Serizawa says, I, you know, I have to do this to keep my secret but you know you and emiko go be happy together i'm, I'm rooting for you guys it, it, it was sweet it was sweet yeah and then uh so you know it's a somber victory you know yeah and to hammer home uh we have professor yamane who is you know still sad they killed godzilla uh but he also gives like a warning at the film just in case you had it you know caught all the h-bomb messages before where he literally says this may be the end of godzilla but i think we may see more of his kind if we keep using h-bombs like yeah I, I like the film i like the message but i will say it's not subtle and it, yeah. well it wasn't trying to oh, be either not. They, really, they really let you know like what this was about yeah this this was 100 percent about the terror of h-bombs and how atomic testing is bad yeah which i'm gonna be honest it surprised me because when i think godzilla i think cool monster fights not <coughs> political meaning of the only country that's ever had atomic bombs dropped on them yeah yeah it was it was it was pretty crazy it was yeah, like I said, it was way heavier than I was. I was expecting a fun Godzilla time, and instead I was like, damn. Yeah, the, it definitely took me by surprise, like Nick's saying. It was a lot deeper than I was ever expecting it to be, and I think it probably is my favorite Godzilla movie because it has actual meaning besides big monster go burr. Yeah, it really kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, wh you know where did that transition come from, you know? Yeah. Ooh, okay. Why we're talking transitions. I know we have a lot to talk about. So remember how I was saying uh, the Bikini Atolla tests, one of those is what affected the Lucky Dragon. Right? Yeah. Yes. You want to hear something messed up? 
Oh, yeah. So, do you remember the 2014 American Godzilla movie? <coughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. With well, the, the one Taylor where the marketing Jones. was all about Brian Cranston and then he died in like the first 20 minutes. Yeah, that they, one. They got me. That was, you know, kudos to them. Okay, but here's the thing. At the beginning, they show the bikini atoll test. And it's not them testing H-bombs. It's them trying to kill Godzilla with H-bombs. Which, I don't know. To me, oh. it, it, it feels weird that they're like, overturning in my in my opinion overturning the meaning of the first godzilla moment even yeah. i don't even i don't think they were aware that they were doing that i i think they were trying to build up how cool he is that he's just chilling through h-bombs but i i definitely see how yeah uh, how it's it, it kind of bad yeah the message yeah yeah i i i'm gonna give them the benefit of doubt and think they just completely misunderstood or didn't know what was going on because uh i don't i want to say it wasn't till like 2010 that uh anyone outside japan saw the original godzilla it was 2004 actually oh okay yeah but before that all we had was the american version which oh boy yeah let's talk about that real quick okay so <laughs> the american version it's so you. bad it's so bad oh my god oh it's hilarious i that's the, the the ride i was expecting to go on in the beginning that was too and i'm so glad we didn't go on it and then i watched the american version and i'm like well i've been on it and i hate it yeah yeah because uh basically it's just a super heavily edited version of the of the japanese version Except this time, there's an American reporter who just so happens to be in Japan named Steve Martin, by the way. And it's not the cool Steve Martin either. No, no. And so he's just kind of he's just kind of bumbling through the entire movie uh, with uh, you know his interpreter because what they uh. did <laughs> they didn't dub. Ever. They only dubbed like the two or three scenes that he somehow wasn't in. Yeah, j- just conversations between Emiko and Ogata and Emiko, Ogata, and Sarazawa. They yeah. cut a lot of their conversations too. Yeah, because, you know, they couldn't have Steve Martin there. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, during, you know, when the people are asking for aid from Tokyo, uh, you know, he's just there in the room and he asks his interpreter like hey what are they saying and the interpreter says you know they say there's there's trouble and it's like i guess yeah they did say that yeah but there's five minutes of talking that definitely sounded like more oh yeah you're watching like three minutes of just people speaking japanese no subtitles no context there's an argument going on and then steve martin goes what's happening Trouble's brewing. I see. Yeah, that's it's uh, it's awful, and he knows everyone. Somehow yeah, yeah. this reporter knows fucking everyone. It's so great because you know it, and this is a real line from the movie. He says, uh, "Yeah, I know, Doctor Sarazawa. We studied in college together." Which, first of all, what? What? Yeah, like like historically, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense if Doctor Sarazawa after. 
World War II went to the United States for college. But uh, I really don't think this exchange student during uh, occupation and reconstruction era Japan would end up A, in the U.S., but he might, and B, I don't know where he'd meet a reporter in college at that time. I think they were like, you know, they're roommates. It was a real, you know, oh. college sitcom situation. You know, yeah. plucky roommates. They probably joined a frat together. Like, you know, I'm sure they had college fun. Yeah, you know, I'd watch that movie. Oh yeah, dude. You and know, Sarazawa had the eye patch the yeah. whole time. Yeah, I mean, the only way this makes sense at all is if it's per- post World War II. So he'd definitely have had the eye patch. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, he knows Yamane, uh, Professor Yamane. He's just casually friends with uh, Ogata and Emiko. Okay, so Ogata's the only one that confuses me. Because, I mean, the the Sarazawa thing's bizarre. But assuming he's college friends with Sarazawa, I could understand him knowing, A, his fiance Emiko. And B, I, maybe her dad. I suppose. But he, but I mean, it goes beyond knowing them. Like he's good friends with all these people somehow. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And then at the beginning, uh, you know, when they first go to Emiko and Ogata, uh, Steve Martin is like, you know, she used to be engaged to Sarazawa, but I think there's a love triangle going on. Oh yeah, this man, he shows no emotion the whole movie except when talking about Emiko, Ogata, and Sarazawa. That's he's a gossip, the, basically. Yeah, he, he's full on gossip. He's like, I'm here for it. I am here for it. Spill the tea. Yeah, no, he's yeah. he's there for all of it. But everything else, he's just kind of monotone. At, in the movie, he's like watching Godzilla wreck Tokyo from a skyscraper, maybe only 100 feet away from Godzilla. And he's like, I'm signing off. It's near me. I have to evacuate. Yeah, the entire room that he was in of generals, they took off already, like, a couple minutes ago. And Godzilla's, like, about to step on the building. And he's like, oh, well, guess that's it for me. He's like, and transmission. Yeah, this man has no... Sense of urgency. Sense of yeah. ur- No emotion with anything. He's it's like... a Lois Lane kind of reporting, where you're just kind of waiting for Superman, I guess. <laughs> it's because the whole time he's thinking, man... This is dang- this is bad, but it's no big monkey bad. It's not big monkey. That's true. true so bad. again, if we're being fair to the actor, it might be because all of his scenes were shot in one day. That's true, and obviously you guys might not believe this, but he wasn't part of the original movie cast. <laughs> He's just he- edited into scenes, and it's not well done. I mean, it's the '50s, so it can't really be well done as we're expected. <laughs> But it's just so <laughs> they, I think they tried, but honestly, I'm not even, I, I can't even say for sure. I don't think, I uh, tried as an effort. I mean, so uh, I did find the guys' names who brought the film to America. Um, yeah. Their names are Harold Ross and Richard Kay. They yeah. bought the film for little money, and then they're like, all right, we need to make this, you know, suitable for our audiences. And they shot their reshots in, I think, two days total. One day using Steve Martin, and the other day was just body doubles and dubbing. Yeah, my favorite was Sir Zawa's body double, because it's just some guy in an eye patch. It was so... Oh, it's so bad. 
Yeah. And also, you know, none of the none of the four main characters are like ever really together, but Steve Martin just happens to be with all of them at like the same time. He's everywhere. Oh yeah. If he gets around. If there's an important moment in the film, he's there. The only thing he missed was, you know, them convincing Sarazawa to not kill himself and to use his weapon against Godzilla. And he wanted to be there. Oh, he wanted to be. He's lying in the hospital. He's like, oh, Emiko, if only I could tell Sarazawa to use the device to save us all. I'm like, and so dude. Ogata is like, I'll go for you, Steve Martin. <laughs> and it's like, good, Ogata and Emiko, y'all make way more sense. Y'all are connected to this man. Where this guy's like, we were college friends. I'm sure I can convince him to use the weapon he's vowed never to even talk about and that I shouldn't even know. Or should yeah. I send the person he was willing to trust with its existence? And then, and then you know, Serizawa asks, like, Ogata, how do you know about it? And Emiko says, well, I told Ogata and Steve Martin, the reporter. <laughs> so, yeah, let me tell the secret to a reporter. Oh, yeah, no, it's... Okay, the other thing I dislike about this movie basically cuts anything about the H-bomb or the atom bomb out of the movie. We get one scene where it's, you know, uh, Professor Yamane who's just who gives the explanation, oh, H-bomb testing disrupted its habitat and now it's out here. But other than that, we don't get any talk about the H-bomb. None at all. You know, it's... It, you wouldn't well, yeah, really because know. America can never look bad. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, definitely. There have been some people who are like, no, they just cut out the parts about the H-bomb because, you know, it would have extended the runtime with their reshoots. I'm like, okay, but, like, it just happens that all those scenes are the ones they cut. All of them? Yeah. yeah. Kind of a coincidence. Yeah. Obviously, America in 1956 did not want to hear anything bad about atomic bombs. Yeah, I don't think we were ready for that conversation. No, we weren't. Do you think the movie, here's a hypothetical, do you think the movie would have like hit here as well as it did if they did include all of that heavy stuff? And, nope. You know, no? No. So American Monsters at the time, okay, so I read a cool paper that was really comparing the existence of Japanese kaiju and American Monsters. And so the big thing about American monsters are American monsters are always the other. And a lot of times, if a monster is caused by radiation, it's also ended by radiation in America, where in Japan, a lot of times, there's almost a sympathy with the monster. Where the monster, you could, I'd argue, you could definitely say with this, and especially subsequent films, Godzilla is a character, right? Like that yeah. ending, you have that majesty of him. Mm-hmm. In most American monster movies, the monsters aren't really characters, especially at this time. They're plot devices and terror and issues. Yeah. Which is why, like, King Kong, is, like the original, is also a widely, was also widely misunderstood, too. Because it tried to break that mold. Well, it, no, it tried to establish the mold that the Japanese monster movies ended up establishing yeah and then everyone was just like no big monkey bad yeah and then that continued with uh 
The Monster 2000 Below the Sea. I, I don't remember its name. But that... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. That, yeah. I, I feel like that's it. We've been, we've been like, you know, going back and forth on what it could be. Neither but, of us are going to look it up. We're just going to keep guessing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, in the American movie, it was created by nuclear radiation. And you know what the solution was? Nuking it. Therefore, sure, nuclear radiation has some downsides, but we can solve it with nuclear radiation. It's, you know, Godzilla's very clear. It's not, not a big fan of this whole nuke thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sarazawa was a lot less worried about his, his bomb falling into the wrong hands. Like, he was still kind of freaked out, but it wasn't, you know... Like, he still does end up killing himself in the American version, but it, it feels very out of left field. Yeah, if Would I was happen. watching that for the first time, I'd be like, whoa, what are you doing? Yeah, it's a really a bridge scene in the American version where they're basically like, use the bomb. No, I can't. It's dangerous. Look at these crying children. Oh, that's pretty bad. Guess I'm going to use the bomb. And that's, that's basically the scene in the American version. Also, speaking of that version, uh, that scene... I'm really disappointed Steve Martin, you know, didn't go scuba diving with them. I, I really thought that's where they were leading this. I thought they were too, but then I realized, wait, that would take way too much effort for this company who wanted to put no effort into it at all. That's a good point. I'm pretty sure all his scenes were shot in one room. Like, yeah. w- when you look at it, he's never really at a location. He's just kind of standing with his back to a wall or yeah. laying on a cot talking to someone who has their back facing the camera because they're supposed to be Emiko but they're quite clearly a body double that, the movie felt like like a spin off of Godzilla yeah uh, you know, it feels like it from someone's perspective it feels like a worse version of a Lion King one and a half where you know we get the <laughs> cool Timon and Pumbaa perspective but now we got some random reporter guy kind of just watching it all happen. Also, so, like Nick said, the scene of Godzilla destroying Tokyo is really heavy. The aftermath's heavy. It has this impact. Do you want to know what... Do you remember what they did in the American version with that aftermath impact? I just remember Steve Martin was narrating Godzilla's, you know, attack the entire time. It kind of pulls you out of, you know, the the heavy situation. Yeah. So, yeah, Steve Martin's talking. He's like, oh, he's destroying this. Oh, he's attacking this. The Japanese version, it's just about 20 minutes of Godzilla wrecking a city. In addition to that, the destroyed city is the opening scene of the Godzilla movie, which, I mean, I guess is kind of a heavy opening, but also it undercuts the climax, in my opinion. Yeah, it definitely does, because you already know, you know, the city's trashed, and Steve Martin is pretty injured, so. So, yeah, the, 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 any any sense of that suspense is just kind of gone. You know what? I got it. I got it. You know what this movie, <laughs> with the American version, is like? What? It's like if Topher, if we sent Topher to go watch Godzilla, and he just kind of told us what happened. That, that's basically what the American what? version is like. So you mean what we've just been doing for the last 30 minutes? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> we are the American Godzilla movie. Please never say that again. We are better than that. We give I context. Mean, 
That, that's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, we, we give you context information, which, uh, going back, so when I was talking about the Lucky Dragon earlier, I wasn't, uh, didn't get the chance to talk about this. Or I did. It just would have been too long, so I'm putting it in here. The Lucky Dragon incident is what inspired the film, the screenwriter to make this movie how it is. Originally, it was basically just going to be a generic King Kong monster from 2000 leagues under the sea kind of movie uh you know big monster destroy city something makes it happen then the lucky dragon number five incident happened and he decided he wanted to give his monster the characteristics of a nuclear bomb he didn't even know what his monster was gonna look like at this point he had no clue but he knew he wanted to talk about what had happened he wasn't a fan and uh, more context, like I said earlier, the United States reoccupation and reconstruction of Japan just ended two years ago. The United States had basically dictated a new constitution to Japan that did not allow them to wage war, and the only military they were able to keep was a defensive one. They were basically forced allies of the United States at this time. Um, because of that, you can't really criticize the United States. So this movie is a pretty big criticism of U.S. policy at that time and really a way that I don't know if Japan could have done more outwardly. Granted, this wasn't government-sanctioned, but it's, I think, a pretty significant criticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was pretty heavy-handed in a, in a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Like, sometimes it's okay to be heavy-handed. The, yeah. the only way it could have been more heavy-handed is if they had someone portraying General MacArthur. Yeah. Oh, true. Or you know what? Uh, that scene from Dr. Strangelove where the cowboy's riding the nuke, like, you know, if they drop that and that's yeah. Godzilla, that, yeah. I think that, that could have done it too. Yeah. So, Nick, I know you said, how long did it take to make the film? Uh, it took them about 50 days because uh, a lot of it, I mean, obviously most of it was shot just in the Toho studio in sets. They did, you know, a couple, you know, outside scene shots, mostly just the islands in the beginning, but everything else, you know, they're able to, to just go through. Um, originally, they said they wanted to do stop motion like the King Kong movie. But Toho, you know, they, they told them, they told uh, Ishiro Honda, the director, they said, if with our current budget and manpower, it would take us seven years to do that. So, you know, think of something else. And so he came up with the practical effects of, you know, a monster in a suit and, you know, just a miniature-sized Tokyo. Yeah, which... Why we're talking about, I know me and Nick were dragging on, you know, the effects of putting him, like, putting the American guy into it. And those did look dumb. But, like, the effects in general that Godzilla used at the time were amazing. Like, this movie was praised for its effects, if nothing else. It was praised for a lot more. But not by critics. Critics on both sides did not like this movie. Well, I know uh, one of uh, critics' complaints back then was that um, because sci-fi back then wasn't something that could be taken seriously. Yeah. Because it was like monsters. 
you know, that's crazy. And one of the complaints was even that a giant lizard, this could never happen. Like, get out of here. <laughs> but that was also one of the reasons Honda wanted to do it. Um, and also it was the reason they picked him because he wasn't their first choice for director. They had a couple, but they all declined because they're like, this is, this is kind of stupid. I'm not going to do a sci-fi movie. And eventually Honda was the one that was like, I'll do it. And I'll make it, you know, serious and, and legit. I'll make it fun, but also, like, we've got some serious things to say. So Japanese critics basically said it was exploiting a national tragedy. Yeah, and, I mean, I can see how they came to that, because it's all so soon, you know? Yeah. Uh, the bombings couldn't have been, like, ten years, maybe? Yeah, about ten years, and the Lucky Tuna incident, or Lucky Dragon, literally happened months before it was released. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I guess it's kind of like they're trying to get over it, and now there's a movie which is just harping all over it. It's like, we don't, you know, I see their point. I see their point. I, I think they're wrong, because, I mean, as, we, as we've talked, like, the screenwriter yeah. and the directors, what they wanted to do with it was not to I, It prop needed it to be said. It needed to be said, and it was a good way to say it. But I, I see where the critics are coming from. And surprise, surprise, American critics didn't like the the very tiny little criticism there was in the American version of Japan. Mm. A lot of them were yeah. outraged over that. And I'm like, good thing they didn't see the original. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, one critic, uh, the New York Times at one point said that you know, he just, he didn't think it could compete with, with King Kong, who was, you know, who was made two, 20 years earlier, and I guess was America's monster. So you see already right there, the Godzilla versus Kong feud is already, it's building up. Oh, yeah, and it didn't help. Uh, maybe it did, because now we get Godzilla versus Kong, which was great. Um, but the two people who purchased it, they literally market it on this is Japan's King Kong. Yeah. So yeah, critics were were ready to compare them because you know they were literally being told to compare them. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know it was you know it was a real East and West kind of thing. I'm just gonna say, look at which one has more movies. It's not King Kong. That's that's true. Well, because you know King Kong keeps dying. Granted, you know? King Kong doesn't have a whole universe around it either. Yeah. Well, he does now, technically. Yeah. You know, they, they share it. It's, you know, it's it's their universe. Go watch Godzilla v. Kong, please. It's a good movie. It's yeah, a it's fun, fun movie. It's a fun movie. Yeah. Also, what, you know, uh, not really a spoiler, but one of the main characters has a podcast. That's true. <laughs> also, because yeah. um, we were talking about Sarazawa in... The 2014 and 2019 films, there's a Sarazawa, and it's this guy's descendant, not the actor's descendant, but in universe, it's this Sarazawa's descendant, I believe. Yeah, it's his. I think it's his son, and then his grandson. Yeah, yeah, probably his grandson or great grandson. I think it's no, no, it might be son. Yeah, it, it's it's really cool. Ken Watanabe's character is great, and I like him as Sarazawa, and the new Sarazawa we get in the film and Kong vs. Godzilla isn't developed enough and would be better with an eye patch. Yeah, it's, it's, 
I didn't care about him until like he comes out and says, yeah, I'm a Sarazawa. I was like, whoa, what are you, why aren't you in this movie then? What are you doing? And then they don't explain anything. Yeah. But you know, we're not, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. 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 That, that's yeah. our, that's one of my few frustrations with Godzilla v. Kong. Otherwise it's yeah. an amazing movie. Also, uh, the, the King of the Monsters movie also had an oxygen destroyer. Yes, it did. Except it was much yeah. bigger and scarier. Yeah, that one really destroyed some oxygen. Yeah, no. destroyed an ocean. Yeah. Anyways, but back to this movie. Um, Nick, I think you were saying you knew some stuff about the suits and effects. Yeah, so um, the Godzilla suit itself, uh, you know, I'm sh- we've all seen it. You know, it probably looks, you know, light enough. But here's a fact. It's actually 220 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. They had the uh, yeah. They had two um, uh, people in the suit. The main guy was Haru uh, Nakajima, who has continued to play Godzilla for he was in him for decades, and his uh, his stunt double, I guess Katsumi Tezuka, who took over when it was just too too much strain, because. Uh, they were they were both picked because you know they're just like the strongest guys around that you could find. They could move a two hundred twenty pound suit. And even they said they could only be in it for three minutes before they pass out from heat or just sheer pressure. And right. uh, they had a second suit though. Uh, if if there's ever a scene where you only see the top half of Godzilla, it's because they they cut off the bottom half. And they lifted the suit up by a crane. So, you know, to kind of help things out a little bit. Um, Godzilla's famous roar, uh, you know, they keep using it, uh, even to this day. It was made um, by uh, the composer using, uh, what is it? He rubbed a leather glove through some loose uh, strings and then he just altered the pitch and speed until, you know, we get the roar that's so iconic today. And uh, let me see, what else do we need? Uh, oh, so you know the footage of like the tanks and stuff? Yeah. Uh, and you know, like we were saying like, man, where are they getting these, these tanks? It's a lot of tanks. Yeah, well, originally, I, you know, uh, they had asked uh, the JSDF, which I forget, it's the Japanese military. Special Defense Force, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Uh, they asked them, like, can we, you know, can we film you guys and use your stuff? And they said, you can film some of our, like, training montages, but, you know, we don't want to associate with some, some movie. So what they ended up having to do is they used a lot of World War II stock footage uh, of, of Japanese tanks and stuff. So, you know, that's that's something. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. You know, I wonder, you know, I imagine, you know, they had footage just kind of lying around, not really being used. Cause yeah. Who would want to see that? Yeah. yeah. Especially at this time, you don't really want to bring up World War II. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me see. 
So, so actually, uh, going back to what critics thought, uh, so obviously it got mixed reviews in Japan. Uh, in the the U.S. version, uh, it got mixed to positive reviews, and also in uh, the U.K. because they they got the version that the U.S. version too, and they actually really liked it. So it was after. Well, uh, when it's not criticizing your country, yeah, that, that yeah, that's true. But after. Uh, you know, the world itself started to really like Godzilla. That was when uh, Japan said they started to, to come around, and they said, "All right, let's let's try a couple more. Let's uh, see let's see what yeah. we got." Because the I just looked it up. The next Godzilla movie came out literally one year after. No, God, no! It the American version didn't even come out. It came out one year after the Japanese version, and they're like, "All right, round two. Yeah, pretty much. Godzilla Raids Again came out in 1955, which I want to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, at that that's the point where Godzilla starts to uh, to kind of make his transition from, you know, all of the heavy imagery to you know monster battles because he's still a bad guy, and he fights uh, Anguirus, who's like a good monster. Yeah. But so you know that's where so- that's where. The Godzilla we are more familiar with today starts. I do yeah. hope eventually on the podcast we can revisit some of the other Godzilla movies. Because I've heard, I want to say, 85 actually has some interesting political implications. Concerning and, the nuclear bomb again. Yeah, because they that one is like a reboot sequel. Yeah, that, that's uh, what I heard. And I'm excited yeah. for us to look into that one. But And also, there is an American version of that one with you know no, Asia no. Porter don't Steve say Steve Martin he's ah. back <laughs> he makes his return 20 years later and this time he's not even like in Japan he's just he's telling the Pentagon in America like what happened in Japan so he's even more removed he shouldn't even be there this time it's so hilarious but yeah I hope y'all enjoyed our Godzilla episode yeah, you know, I hope it was a, a, a monster of a good time. <laughs> um, For one I, of the most influential movies ever made. Yeah, I mean, seriously. It, I love Godzilla in complete and totality. I will say, uh, I used to talk bad about the Matherick Roderick version. Um, it used to be my least favorite movie made concerning Godzilla. That has quickly been surpassed by the American version. So bad. It, it's really something, for yeah. sure. <laughs> like I don't, I, I can't state how much I dislike this movie, so much. Um, so you know, you guys go watch the original Godzilla, and then you know, once you soak in how good it is, watch the American version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the American version's like the one you should watch. You know, with a few good drinks and some friends to make fun of it. Uh, but yeah, so thank y'all. Uh, we'll be putting out our next episode concerning King Kong, so we could do our own Godzilla v Kong round two. You know, coming up, what a what a fierce battle we got going on. Big monkey, big monkey. 
but yeah so thank y'all for listening uh we will see y'all next time take care bye bye